Uh, so how are you doing, man? I am doing good, thanks. How are you? You know, surviving, surviving. Yeah. Uh, the city where I live in right now, Montreal, they're uh, installing a new curfew as of uh, Sunday for 8 p.m. Oh. Yeah. But you know, then on the other side, I have nowhere to go, <laughs> so I'm fine with it. That's the, thing about, that's the thing about this pandemic, you know, the cartoonists who work from home, we already been prepared for this. We've done this for years. So we're already prepared. Mm -hmm. Oh, boy. Well, one thing's for sure, this pandemic could be handled better in certain parts of the world than others, but I digress. Yeah. So how goes your argument? It's everything on your end. And things are pretty good, you know. Um, I'm really excited for uh, Chronicles of Horror issue two coming out. Um, well, being part of that, obviously, but I'm excited about issue one. You know, just finally seeing that. That's all. It's going to be incredible. Mm. Um, also, uh, finishing up uh, my third issue of Codename Hunter. Uh, getting ready to call it that. So I'm very excited about that. And, you know, that. I'm just excited because so many projects are coming up and some I'm uh, currently working I can't really talk about just yet, but it, it's it's very exciting time. Nice. Well, on my end, um, issue three of Zenith Nights is 15 pages done out of 25. It would have been finished earlier, but unfortunately my artist had, a, had an injury, so he's picking it back up now. So hopefully... Uh, before summer really hits, we'll be able to finally finish this one. And I'm really excited about this issue. I don't know if you saw like my last post, but uh, issue three is going to get really dark. Yes, I did see that post. Um, how dark are we talking? Yeah, let's leave it at that. It's, uh, look, I've, I've gone three issues in, and I haven't even shown the villain yet. In oh. So... Yeah, I'm taking my time. I realize my writing style is that within 10 issues, I tell one single story. <laughs> I'm reading other comics. I'm like, oh, wow, 10 issues in is a lot of happens. I'm like, nope, not with me. Well, because it's a big epic, uh, epic story, you know. I don't, from what I've seen of your work, you like big epics. Oh, you yeah. You don't think small, which is good because it keeps the reader, you know, invested uh, currently, right now for Conan Hunter, I have a five-issue story arc because yeah. is I like I write my comics like I'm writing movies. Same with me. Like I realized that after I wrote the, the the ten issues there, it's like wow, it's like you can probably like trim this up a little bit and you can turn it into like a two-hour movie. Exactly. Or you know, you get the dream and you get something like Invincible right now. <laughs> now, yeah, have you seen that show? Because it's fantastic. Oh, I'm really enjoying Invincible. Like I read the comic back in the day. Yeah, and I really like what's coming out right now. Like I watched the first few episodes. Like, yeah, this feels like the comic. They're adding in some new stuff, obviously. Like, I don't remember all that stuff with Titan. Like the what happened in the last episode. I think that's all like cartoon. Yeah, I think. Uh, yeah, I think they just added that because I don't remember in the uh, issues that I read. I don't remember even even mentioning Titan. So yeah. I think that's something they added. Yeah. I think Titan was a character, but the whole story arc that they're doing with like Machine Head, that I don't remember. <clears throat> Either that or it was so early in the comic that it didn't have any repercussions later on that it's forgettable. Yeah. I had to reread it because it was as I read it. Mm -hmm. But then you got like uh, J.K. Simmons is playing uh, 
Omni Man. <laughs> it's freaky. You know, it's freaky because I'm so used to thinking of him obviously as J. Gerard Jameson. Mm-hmm. And, you know, obviously not Commissioner Gordon, but they made him as a very big range of characters, but he's one of those chameleon actors that, you know, you get you just get lost in his role. Yeah, but he's you know he's done a lot of stuff. Like I can't remember all all off the top of my head. Let me just look that up fast, fast. But he's done a lot of uh, voice acting work. He's really good at it. He did the yellow M and M. Really, that's him. Yes, I had I had found this. I was I was like, what? Oh, that's all kind of messed up. Yeah, but Invincible. I'm really enjoying it. But the other thing is that, especially if you if you've read the comics, you kind of know where things are going. And that just kind of adds to the tension of everything going on with Omni Man, you know? Yeah, it's uh, it's gonna get it's gonna get crazy. Uh, I think before the season is out, because we definitely know where the direction is going. For those who read the comic, uh, you know where it's going. Uh, even though they add stuff in there, trust me, when you get to the end result, you're like, yeah, we kind of saw it, but you just can't believe it's happening. Mm-hmm. But the other thing is, that I was really surprised that they were forty minute long episodes. Yeah, that's another thing because I would have thought originally thought it was going to be twenty five uh, minutes, mm-hmm. you know, a typical thing. But you know they really flesh it out because what they do is they're telling mini movies in the, the series. Yeah, and I think that's honestly the best way you can go about with a lot of these comic properties. Because the thing I will praise about Invincible, the thing I really liked about it, Invincible is a continuing story. It has a beginning, middle, and an end. It doesn't go on for one thousand plus issues. That's true. Yeah. That's true. That's the thing, like, because you could do that with Invincible. Invincible is kind of like manga in a way, and that you know you have the story. It goes, it finishes. It had a few spinoffs. I remember Invincible had Guardians of the Globe as a spinoff. Yeah. Which I actually I thoroughly enjoyed everything that came out of that universe. But that's the thing, like, that's the good thing about Invincible is that you don't have to worry about adapting. Oh, I have all these different sources of the character to adapt. No, you have one source. And so far, they're doing a good job. And the thing is, they know where the story's going to go. Maybe they'll add, maybe they'll subtract, maybe they'll do their own thing. I have noticed they have changed a few things around. They have uh, added a few more uh, phrases and all that, you know? Yeah. It's not a one-for-one recreation, like, you know, all good and bad. But honestly, it's like they just did it really well. Yeah. It's perfectly well-casted, I noticed. It probably has one of the best uh, castings out of any kind of... uh, cartoon I've seen. I would say that I agree with that statement. Yeah. All I gotta say is between Invincible and uh, Falcon and the Winter Soldiers, I have a lot to watch on Fridays now. <laughs> Don't tell me what happened in uh, this past week. So I haven't seen it. I'll see it tomorrow. Oh, man. You need to see it. I know. I know. I know. Uh, trust me. The, the minute uh, I finish it, you and I gotta have this talk because I really want to talk about it. I'll tell you this, though, about uh, episode five. Episode five is where there's a shift in the sense that, you know, when you're watching, like, the Cap- uh, let's talk about Captain America and Winter Soldier. Okay. That movie shifts when they get to the place and Arnim Zola's there, and then they find out that Hydra's been in the, whole- the place the whole time. Ah, uh, yeah. Yeah, that's the-, the shift in the movie. So for me, like, if you're thinking about Falcon and the Winter Soldier as a movie, that would be this point. Okay. Well, I really can't wait to talk about this after I watch it. Uh, let's talk about the show for a second uh, on a whole. Yeah. 
I would say that this show is probably the most grounded of the Marvel shows we've seen so far. To be fair, though, we've only seen two. That is true. That is true. But it, it has a greenness to it that I can't quite describe. It's very much like, obviously, Winter Soldier and Civil War. Well, you got to think about it as in Captain America. Like, especially the first two. And you had uh, the, the OG where, you know, things take a slow ramp up. And then the second one where it's like, I think Winter Soldier is still probably one of my favorite Marvel movies. It's such, such a good, solid movie. It's true. Yeah. Uh, I'll never forget, um, you know, when they're killing, trying to kill Nick Fury on the road. I was like, those are the most intense eight minutes of a sequence I ever saw. And the directors, the Russos, I give them credit for this, they were influenced by the movie Heat. Oh. Al Pacino and Robert De Niro. And they said the most intense eight films was the bank robbery. So we wanted to try to do something like that. And I remember being on the edge of my seat the entire time watching that sequence. Now, I'm going to tell you something about bank robberies. No self-respecting criminal will actually pull a bank robbery in this day and age. No, because now you can just do it digitally. Not just that, but they don't keep that much money in banks to begin with. Like, banks actually don't keep all their money at the bank. They have uh, off-site areas that are heavily guarded that keep all the money. And you know how you see all those money trucks coming in and out? They pick up the cash and they deliver it to the bank and then they take all the, uh, the rest to a secure facility. So, cause I was just thinking about how many times in comics, like, oh, there's a bank robbery going on. That's always like such the cliche, right? Yeah. Yeah. And the other thing is, because I work with a security company currently, uh, I got to see what an armored truck looks like. And the guy who was showing is like, yeah, dude, all those movies where you see armored trucks, total lie the way they work is that in the back somebody has to get in the back then that person opens the door for the person in the middle and then he opens the door for the next person and then they open the door for the driver so it's a four-man system one of those trucks yeah um yeah just seeing the cliches i was like uh come on guys yeah. there's no way in hell this could have happened you know in reality so mm -hmm. i'm glad they actually made it, made it tougher to do stuff like that well, yeah, for sure. Like, uh, have you seen the new Superman and Lois show? I have. Yeah, I'm. Oh, we'll get on that for in like full detail in a minute. But I remember there was this one episode where they were moving this prisoner from one area to the next. Yeah. And how easy yeah. it was for him to break out of the armored truck. I'm just like watching these things now, and I think it's because I've consumed so much media. I'm like, they make it too easy. Like yeah. these things that would not be that easy. Especially at Metropolis PD, they know they have to deal with meta humans. Mm -hmm. So I would think, okay, maybe we should take more extra precautions. You know, you know what I've always like would have, would love to see one day in a fictional universe, and I'm trying to fit, fit into my own. You would have meta humans on police forces. In that, okay, you have a city that has a high amount of meta human crime. You add a few of them to the police force. They're the a special division to handle that kind of thing. That's that's a that's an interesting idea. Yeah, because think about it. What if and we'll just use Marvel as an example. All those street level heroes were made like not okay, not exactly as they are because it's all like oh I can't reveal my identity. Oh, but I mean like somebody like Power Man, um, have them be on a special division of. The police were saying, okay, when there's meta crime, I'm the guy they send in. 
Yeah, or Luke Cage. Yeah, that's what I mean by car, man. Yeah, that, that's yeah, sorry. Yeah. Uh, Peter oh. Parker could probably really work well if it wasn't for the whole secret identity thing. Yeah. But I would love to see that in a comic universe where you have some superhero type people that would be on an actual division because you want to say, oh, escalation. Okay, just reserve them for meta-human crimes. It's like, okay, well, you have, like, they already have that. Like, you have the riot squad. You have an escalation of different forces you deploy. Why don't they have people working to fight this kind of thing? Just mm, hasn't been done yet. Yeah. Well, because it's like heroes are too easy, they're too fast. Like, and I've seen, like, one of my favorite versions of this kind of idea is Savage Dragon. Yeah. He is a superhero cop. And he's the only, from what I know from last looking at it, he's the only one in that universe. Yeah, I think that's true. That's true. Yeah. But I'm saying, like, Hey, how about we had, we had five or six more Savage Dragons on the police force? Uh, I'm pretty sure somebody's had that discussion, but uh, just hasn't executed yet. Yeah, I would love to see it one day. Yeah. Because, you know, it's like you're saying Superhero Registration Act. Okay, so are they their own individual teams per city, or are they integrated with law enforcement? What's going on? Yeah, that, that was that was a whole confusion for me about Civil War, the uh, the comic. Because um, Civil War, in my opinion, is done better in the movies than it is in the comic. Well, yeah, because with with the comic, it's definitely obviously different uh, for various reasons. Um, but I think what the movie did was you really saw the real life consequences of their actions. Mm -hmm. see the damage and you also see the heartache that a lot of these characters have to go through to see how much destruction they're actually causing so they're doing more a lot more harm than than good in, in a couple of cases mm. to be fair the whole if you look at what happened with the scarlet witch it's debatable if her action caused more damage than had she not done anything uh, that's, that's that's a tough one yeah because okay uh, you don't do anything, everyone there dies. You, yeah. You've lifted them up and a certain amount of people on a floor die. Yeah, that's, yeah. Trust me. Uh, it's very difficult to really see, you know, who's really right in the situation. There's a, lot, there's a lot of gray area, especially where it became in that movie, because one side had a point, another side had a point. Yeah. So who really right? So Exactly. But I'm thinking like, okay, Light regulations is not the end of the world, but in this in the world of the Avengers, if you're just looking at in the movie, I could understand Steve Rogers' point of view. And like, if we're if we have our hands tied to be able to go where we're only go where we're told, if there's a problem, shit hits the fan. Like, just look at what happened with Thanos. If they have to wait for permission, yeah, absolutely not. Um, it, it would have been much more. Uh, much more destructive than it actually was. But, you know, Tony was right as well. It's like, okay, having some restrictions is not a bad idea. It's like, okay, we have to work within a set of regulations. We can't just do whatever we want. That's not a bad thing. They, yeah. If it wasn't for Bucky in the middle of it, they could have come to some common ground, but a lot of personal issues came in between everybody. Yeah. 
So you can see where it gets messed up in the movies. Yeah, it's true. Um, especially when they uh, present the accords for the first time, you know, and you could, t you could see the tension, obviously, in the air. You could see it, especially when it came to Tony and Steve, because Tony definitely is well aware of his uh, problems. Also, uh, the type of damage that can be done in the world, especially when he had his own weapons used in a in the wrong hands. Oh, yeah. He, he sees it firsthand. Steve didn't really have that type of point of view yet. Yeah. Steve is very, he's the Boy Scout. He's the very much like, we do the, the, the right thing at the right time. Yeah. But then you look at the comics with the Civil War. I can understand why people would freak out why that happened. Like, do you remember why it started in Civil War for Marvel? <clears throat> Probably started when they had no other stories to tell. That's <laughs> That's pretty much that's <laughs> story. I, I love that uh, that explanation. Like, oh, it probably started when they had no story. <laughs> I, I'm going to use that. I like that. <laughs> no, but from what I remember, what it was, it's like you had a bunch of young heroes chase a supervillain into a residential area, and then he just blew up everybody. Yeah. Yeah, I do remember that. Um, and apparently, Thor had died in the uh, story earlier. They were still there, they were doing a funeral, but that was when the registration act was starting to, you know, really uh, come into light. Mm -hmm. Oh, and that's another storytelling trope I hate, where we kill a character or remove the character because we can't have them involved in this conflict because their presence would negate the conflict. Yeah, I I would have said, you know. I wouldn't Thor have taken the uh, taken this uh, uh, registration act. What would he have said? Thor's a literal god. Yeah, he may, he may not care, but you know, it would be it would be interesting to see his kind of point of view saying, "Hmm, I'm not sure this is a good idea." Uh, you know, I just remembered the one scene from uh, Secret Invasion where the Skrulls are about to head off against the, the heroes, and like where this. The Skrull Queen's like, our god has told us this world is ours. And then Thor shows up and like Nick Fury's like, yeah, well, my god says different. <laughs> yeah, that's actual, sorry? That's the point exactly right there. Yeah. You know, it makes me wonder, do people in the Marvel Universe worship Thor as a god? Oh. Because he is literally the god from Norse mythology. He is in the comics, an actual god. In the, the movies, he's just an alien. So it just makes me wonder, does anyone in the comic universe actually worship Thor? No, I don't know that. Yeah, yeah. They probably went there, but I have no idea. Yeah, there's probably some, some group out there in the, the Marvel Universe that are, you know, saying, thank God Thor, thank God Thor, the mighty Thor, who knows? Yeah, I would see it. And like, think about it, if you're in the Marvel Universe as a religious person, and then when the gods of literal Norse mythology show up, you're like, okay, so those are the gods that are real. <laughs> like, I could see, like, people converting to, to religion to worship them, because they're literally showing up and helping out. Yeah, who knows? Maybe they did say a story like that, but all you do is find out. 
God, Marvel's like 80 years old. Like they've probably done everything by now. Oh, and they probably just rehashed a lot of stuff, which is very true in uh, a lot of these cases. Clone Saga. How many times have we gotten Clone Sagas? Uh, let's see. Um, the first one, I believe, was definitely, what, the 80s? Mm-hmm. Maybe, yeah. yeah. Then there was, a def- there was another one in the 90s. I remember that. Mm-hmm. That was a big event. Uh, yeah, I guess about, I think maybe four. Yeah, uh, there's, all, there's also one for Miles Morales who got his own clone saga. Oh, God. Then the ultimate Spider-Man got a clone saga. Yeah, remember that. I do remember one thing that they did which was very smart. It was like, I think in the last 10, 15 years, God, I'm old. Um, <laughs> where they remade the clone saga in six issues. In that they said this is a condensed version of that storyline from the 90s. And the ending is different in that, you know, Peter and MJ have their daughter, and uh, Ben Riley is continuing to be Spider Man having survived the goblin attack. Yeah. So it's like an AU version of the clone saga, but only in the ending. Everything else is just kind of a condensed version of the clone saga. Yeah. Um, I, re- I recently read uh, Spider Man Life Story, mm-hmm. which is pretty much uh, you see Spider Man in the decades. When they get to the 1970s, they did a, a, a condensed version of the clip. The clone saga. Oh. Yeah. It's interesting to see how Peter has changed uh, throughout the decades, especially in the 2000s. Because they actually did cover Civil War in that uh, section. So, yeah. uh, Ed Wright, I would uh, definitely recommend it. Yeah. Like, hey, Civil War, I reveal my identity. Okay. Now I'm going to make a deal with the devil and undo it. Yes, let's talk about this. Let's talk about this for a second because I was incredibly bothered by that whole p- part of Peter's uh, storyline in Civil War. Mm-hmm. I was like, you paid yourself as a target. You paid your family members as a target. Particularly Aunt May and uh, MJ. Then you make a deal with the devil to not only save Aunt May, but also forget your marriage and forget everyone knew that you were Spider-Man. If you had had a conversation maybe, maybe with Doctor Strange, I think it would have gone a whole lot easier. Because you remember what the deal with Mephisto ended up doing was that Mephisto rewrote reality where one, the marriage never happened, and two, uh, Spider-Man found another way to undo it in that he worked with Doctor Strange and Mr. Fantastic to spread some kind of mind-altering nano spell across the world and everyone forgot his secret identity. Yeah. And I'm like, why didn't you do that in the first place? It could have saved so much trouble, so much, so much grief. Mm-hmm. I don't it's, I, I, No, I, I don't get it. I, the reason why they wanted to do it is like, well, we can't tell stories about a married Peter Parker because it kind of destroys the stories about the Peter Parker we want to tell. It's like the inherent problems with comic books. They always have to return to a status quo. Yeah, that's what I call lazy writing. Mm -hmm. Which is why I can appreciate Invincible in that Invincible doesn't have that problem. It doesn't have a status quo reset. It just keeps moving forward. 
Yeah. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. You know, what's actually interesting uh, also is the status quo that have changed uh, in the DC universe. Mm-hmm. Particularly in the Batman series. Yeah. Well, Batman can't get married because he can't have a member of the Bat family be happy. Yeah. And he lost his millions. Well, billions, I should say. Because the IRS are not watching him. <laughs> of course, Batman's greatest enemy is the IRS. Yeah. Because Joker stole all his billions and had access to all his tools and toys. Oh, yeah, he did. So, Mike, this is a huge status quo change. But I think it was a necessary change because it tells more complex stories going forward. So that's a, that's part of their end. That's part of their end. But that's oh, about where they're sporting in. That's about all they're sporting in because I'm not been happy with Superman at all. But then you got to ask yourself, how long is the status quo going to last? So give it about two, three years, then Batman's got his millions again? Uh, It's too soon to tell. I remember there was a really good comic about this. Um, Did you ever read the the Kid Loki comics? Yes, I did. Yes, I did. So there was this thing where after Ragnarok, all the Asgardians were reborn. And Loki was reborn as a child, as a completely new reincarnation of him and he's being guided by this crow which his end goal is to replace the current loki with the old loki and the whole commentary that's going on throughout the comic is that you know it doesn't matter what you try to do forces will always will force you to be who you were not who you are it was a very dark message about comics in that it doesn't matter what's going to happen in that Different writers will touch different characters, will write them differently, will revert them to previous forms because that's what comics are. These characters are not allowed to grow and change. Well, I think in the case of the Batman series currently, I don't. I think that's sort of half true because a lot of the stuff that happened, you know, they're, they're keeping it permanent, like the death of Alfred. I know characters have come back from the dead in the comic book universe. I know this, this is pretty much comic book 101, but they're treating the death like it's really happened. So I think it, I think it killed him off permanently. Eh. I will see, we'll see. I could be wrong, I could be wrong. Yeah. There was a rule saying there's only two people in comic books that are not allowed to come back to life. Uncle Ben and Batman's parents. Pretty much. Yeah. But no, because when you say like, oh, they, they dealt with the death of Alfred, like, I just think about the death and rebirth of Captain America. Oh, yeah. Like, oh, how do we uh, we bring him back to life? Time displacement bullets! Oh, let's not forget the death of Superman saga. Let's not forget that. The what? The death of Superman saga. Okay, but I will give it this. That was like one of the first times they did it. Yeah, that was the first oh. time. The first time. I will give that one credit because it just... Superman wasn't dead. It was more like a near-death experience. But, like, I can't stand the ones where, like, boy, Batman, same thing. He got shot in the head with a gun. It was, once again, a time displacement bullet. It's like, Christ almighty, you can't kill comic book characters even with, like, shooting them in the head? Like, if, if I could, one day in the future, I would write a parody in that where 
the villains literally do everything to kill the person and he's back to life in the next issue. <laughs> like, I mean, like drop him in acid, riddle him with holes, like everything you can imagine, like cartoonish logic. And that next issue, yes, I have been brought back thanks to time displacement bullets. <laughs> God, <laughs> bad they use time travel uh, way too often in the comics, I think. Mm -hmm. I think the best version of time travel that I've seen in media right now, two sources, Dragon Ball Z and Avengers Endgame. Yeah, I can say that. Yeah, because they... Sorry. No, no, go ahead, go ahead. Because they use multiverse theory in that the people who travel from the future cannot change their own path, but they can interact with other timelines. 